You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latinoamérica en Foco. América Latina en Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. This is Karin Zasas of ASCOA Online. Polarization has been center stage for elections all over Latin America, and it was on full display in Brazil's first round. On October 2nd, Brazilians divided the ballots and the country between President Jair Bolsonaro and former President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva the two candidates asking for another chance to hold the executive seat. States in the North and the Northeast supported Lula, while the Midwest and the Southern states showed they wanted Bolsonaro back in the presidency. The social polarization we're seeing right now is key to understand the political differences in Brazil. So it's not only about political parties that differ from each other. We're really talking about voters who see the world from different perspective, and that matters a lot on how and why they're choosing either Lula or Bolsonaro in the second round. That's the first real election in which two visions of Brazil are in dispute. That was Felipe Nunes, CEO of Brazilian polling firm Quest, as well as a professor at the Federal University of Minas Gerais and a PhD in political science from UCLA. He's back on the podcast talking with Luisa Lemming about whether the polls got the first round wrong, how Lula and Bolsonaro are now dueling for the battleground state of Minas Gerais, and why Lula needs to fight against voter abstention to secure his lead. But first, let's learn about what the October 2nd elections already delivered. Brazilians elected a third of the Senate, 513 representatives in the lower house, and 15 of 27 governors. We held a Twitter space on the results in which Monica Debol, senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, explained how the big victory for the far right that night could affect Brazil's economy. The far right does have its own agenda. On the economic side, there's a coalition between them, and we know that well. We have seen it play out in the different bancadas in Congress, so the, the Bible Bullet and Beef Caucus. Between those three, there's a very clear agenda to sort of put the agribusiness sector as, let's say, the main growth driver in Brazil. The problem is the agribusiness sector is not big enough, nor is it sufficiently organized within the Brazilian economy to really drive the economy forward. It's not enough. It's not big enough. So there is a push towards making the agribusiness sector the center, the centerpiece of growth or the center of gravity 
for growth in Brazil. And in order to do that, you're going to have to take resources away from other sectors of the economy and direct them towards the, the agribusiness sector. Check the podcast notes for the link to hear the entire space. And follow us on Twitter at ASCOA to join future conversations. Felipe, thank you so much for coming back to Latin America in Focus. It's my pleasure, Luisa. Thank you very much for the invitation. Let's get the whole discussion about the polls out of the way. People said that during the first round of the presidential elections in Brazil, the polls were wrong. What did they get wrong and what did they get right? So, first of all, Luisa, there was a big mistake in the way people were interpreting the outcomes of the elections with the outcomes of the polls. People were literally comparing, uh, you know, apples and oranges. So the survey that we do is based on a sample taken from a total of 156 million voters. Okay, so we get the reference data from the TSE, which is the Supreme Court, the Supreme Electoral Court in Brazil, and then you create the quotas of sex, age, income, school age, based on that amount of people. So in order to understand what the polls did, we have to compare the election result, taking into account the total amount of voters, not the valid voters, which is the way the elections are calculated in the end. So doing any other comparison makes no sense, okay? The valid votes derived from the polls make no sense at all because we have, for example, around 10% of people who say they are undecided in, in Saturday night, which is, you know, one day before the election. How are they going to be disputed as valid votes? Uh, and no one knows, right? So the, the, the best way to understand what's going on uh, in the polls is to compare the total votes in the polls and the total votes in the electorate. And based on that, the conclusion we get is that Bolsonaro voters were well uh, described, but Lula voters were super estimated in the polls, which means that Lula lost a lot of voters in the, in the ballots in the day of the election. If you take all the polls that were published, actually, so Bolsonaro had around 33% of total votes of Brazil, and Lula had around 37% of total votes. So if we compare with the polls on average, and take like all the, the relevant uh, polling houses in Brazil, you see that Bolsonaro's uh, estimations were correct, were around 34%. But Lula were overestimated. So what happened? Okay. So Lula lost around 13 million votes on election date, without doubt. And that happened because of the abstention. Okay. Brazil does not have a culture of working with likely uh, voting models. So that's why we don't take into account who we have more or less chances of getting to vote in the day of the election. And based on that, we do not estimate those differences. Many people that voted for Lula, that's, that were saying they were going to vote for Lula, actually 
didn't show up in the ballot. Felipe, like how did Lula lose those votes and how did Bolsonaro's campaign was able to be more successful? We have to still remember that Bolsonaro came out of this election with less votes than Lula. Lula came out with 57 million voters, the largest voting a candidate ever got in the history of democracy in Brazil now. You're talking about the the heart of of the issue here. So what happened was that Bolsonaro voters were uh, seeing that Lula had a high chance of winning the first round. It's very important to remember everybody who's listening to us that it was less than one one half million votes uh, in order to Lula to win the first round. Okay, so Bolsonaro voters were very engaged in this election because they really didn't want Lula to win the first round. They really needed to show support for Bolsonaro, and they really went to the ballot to vote. Whereas Lula voters on the other side, you know, they uh, they wanted to end the election in the first round, but most of them, uh, the majority of the poor ones, were not as motivated as they should be in order to, to have this final account. Let's take a look at some data. Let, this week, uh, Quest, we published a poll uh, that reproduced how was the vote in the first round in Brazil. We created a new quota to really capture the exactly same amount of people who did vote, 76% of Brazilians, and 24% uh, who didn't show up in the election day. And what we found out, Luisa, was that in in the Northeast, 24% of voters didn't show up. Among women, 26% of them didn't show up. And among the poor, the ones with low income uh, in their families, 28% didn't show up to to vote. That means Lula really was uh, punished by the fact that the subcategories, the subgroups that were voting a lot for him were actually absent in this election. In a, in a movement that, you know, the polls didn't understood that, we, we missed that, that movement. We didn't estimate correctly that abstention mm-hmm. and, and that overestimated Lula, right? So that's a, that's a very important learning, Luisa. Very, very important. I think from now on, the Brazilian polls will have to learn from the U.S. polls and start incorporating the likely voting models in every poll to actually try to get the actual outcome. When you talk about those subgroups and the importance of those voters that did not show up to vote, right? Looking at the results in the first round, we see a very divided country geographically. Can we go over this map? Can you explain the geographical differences that we saw in this vote and and what is their role in the runoff? Luisa, uh, we talked about that in our first episode in the first round. Brazil has now a very clear polarization that's not only on the political parties, but also in the society, right? So Brazilians from uh, the north of Minas Gerais toward the, you know, the northeast, including Bahia, Pernambuco, Ceará, these voters are really, really attached to PT agenda, okay? These are the ones who are very dependent on state. They care a lot about public policies. They care about cash transfer programs. And they know that PT is the one who has this agenda, 
Whereas in the middle of Minas Gerais, toward down, which means São Paulo, Paraná, Rio Grande do Sul, but including the central west, which is, you know, very agricultural areas of Brazil, these are what we call the blue areas of the country, right? People who are more uh, liberal in terms of economy, they, they want less state, but they are conservatives in terms of their values. These two types of Brazil, these two visions of world in Brazil, they are very well represented nowadays uh, on the presidential dispute you have right now. Lula, from one side, representing the poor, representing the idea that the state needs to care about people, whereas Bolsonaro represents more the more liberal part of Brazil, the agricultural part of Brazil, the more conservative part of Brazil in terms of values. And these two Brazils, they are geographically very, very different. They are clearly apart from each other. The social polarization we're seeing right now is key to understand the political differences in Brazil. So it's not only about political parties that differ from each other. We're really talking about voters who see the world from different perspectives. And that matters a lot on how and why they're choosing either Lula or Bolsonaro in the second round. That's the first real election in which two visions of Brazil are in dispute. So it's interesting because Brazil right now looks like the U.S. map in which we have like the coast, which is Democrat, and the center, who is more conservative. In our country right now, we see something very similar to that, which is the north against the south, and people who live in those different regions really want different things from their government. So that's why I believe, Luisa, that the division we're seeing this year is not just a momentaneous one. This might be a division that will take place in Brazil and keep going in Brazil in other electoral cycles. How do you measure this worldview difference, this worldview division among voters? This is really hard to measure. I, I can only imagine when you're a pollster, like, how does that change? Like, what do you do with your sampling? Like, how do you <laughs> how do you deal with this uh, polarization in terms of value? Yeah, so there are two things we do. First thing is, uh, I, I always like to say that in Brazil, this year, for some reason, we were we pay attention a lot in the score of the game, and we lost the dynamic of the game. Right? Everybody was just looking at the voting tension, voting tension, voting tension. Whereas the pools were showing many other things. For example, rejection rates. Pools were showing who deserves a second chance. Pools were showing how they think the issues on uh, guns, how they think in terms of abortion, how they think about you know the the role of the state. So, all that is measured on the polls, right? And it's based on that that we create a scenario, an analytical scenario, to try to capture maybe some kind of hide intention that voters are not telling, not saying explicitly, but in the day of the election, they might reveal those ideas. So, you know, what we have to do is we have to keep pushing, we have to keep asking questions, we have to keep doing uh, multivariate analysis. That is, for me, like the most important lesson from the first round. That's very interesting. People are still saying uh, that Lula will win. The Quest poll also puts him ahead. Um, what do election results 
and poles tell us and what is this division that you're talking about right tell us about what he has to manage if he does win the election of this year is what we call in political science a normal election okay what does that mean there is an incumbent president facing re-election what is in the discussion the main discussion that we have right now is does this president deserve to continue his work or not it's about second chances like you explained it before exactly and and the reason why that's important luisa is because when we ask voters right now who deserves a second chance 50% of Brazilians say Lula deserves a second chance, whereas 50% say Bolsonaro deserves a second chance, which means we are really talking about a divided country. But although voters are divided in terms of who deserves what, in the voting intention, Lula has a little bit more advantage than Bolsonaro right now. After all majoritarian second round election, the president has to appeal to the not to his voters, supporters, but to the median voter. So one of the main challenges of the next president will be to try to reunite Brazil in terms of the same agenda. Brazil does not have, at this moment, one unique agenda that put everything together. Maybe the World Cup will do that in the end of the year, but you know who knows? Besides the World Cup, There's no other agenda right now that, you know, really puts everybody in the same place, cheering for the same team. Are people agreeing on who is going to play in the World Cup already or no? No, no not yet. Not yet. And, not even know, with the players, right? Not even if the players, you know, the coach is under attack, the players are under attack. So the, the, the vision is everywhere. And, and, and this year is interesting because the first time that the World Cup is going to happen after a national election in Brazil, usually the World Cup happens before the national elections. And a lot of people try to actually get correlations about, you know, the, the performance of Brazil in the World Cup and the performance of the president. So the, the next president really has to find an agenda to reunite the country. And that agenda might be uh, something about poverty might be something about uh, the distribution of the resources in the country. But the thing that I know is that Congress in Brazil, the, the elected Congress is way more conservative than it used to be, which means Lula will have way more, have a harder time governing than he used to have in the past when he was president again. Bolsonaro, on the other hand, if he wins, he'll have uh, an easier path because, as I said, Many government governors and senators and deputies are more on toward his side. What did it change from the first round to the second round? The first round, you talked about, hey, key states in the southeast, women, poor women, especially evangelicals. These are the people that are the swing voters and both candidates need to go after. Did something change for the second round? So the most important thing that changed is that we know that in second round, in general, the abstention grows. In 2018, for example, it grew by close to 1.5 points, first round to second round. If we make projections about that for the second round, it's, it's possible to say, it's likely to say that Lula will be the most disadvantaged candidate in, the, in those sense. So what he has to do He has really to convince poor voters to go to vote. 
That's what can change the election completely, okay? If the abstention rate was, is similar uh, to, the, to the traditional pattern we know, which is increasing, growing abstention in the second round, Lula will be way more punished. He will have in a, in a position way more mm -hmm. in disadvantage than in the first round, and that can change the general outcome. And the president, President Bolsonaro, having the the machine and having the possibility to go after those voters too. Um, do you see this movement now? Is President Bolsonaro using this privileged position of being the president to convince those poor voters to show up to polls? He's using everything that he can. He, I mean, all the, the tools that the president has has been used this year, right? He created benefits for poor voters, increased the cash transfer program, created like uh, programs, cash transfer programs for tax drivers, for truck drivers. So far, that has not been as useful as he would like that to be. You know, it's important to remember that Bolsonaro is the first president running for re-election that actually lost the first round, right? So he really is he really needs to recover and you know try to to swing voters to change voters' minds in order to win the elections. It's not an easy task, okay? But he's trying, he's doing everything that he can. Okay, this probably will be the most competitive and difficult election to call since both presidents are very strong, are very popular, are very charismatic, they have strong mass bases. And they are really loved by huge percentages of voters. Let's talk about like local politics and how it's it's going to help or not this presidential run. You're based in Minas Gerais and pollsters sometimes call Minas Gerais Brazil's Ohio, right? <laughs> If we consider the first round, we are looking at a Minas Gerais completely divided. It's almost the state has a, a line in the middle between Lula supporters and Bolsonaro supporters. How important is this state? going to be. Minas Gerais and Rio de Janeiro already have governors. That race was solved in the first round. Can you talk about how important Minas Gerais is going to be for us? You who are in Minas Gerais, who can really not only just work on the polls, but feel the temperature in the streets. Yeah, so you're right. Uh, Minas is really the Ohio state of Brazil. It's the most important swing state. It's the only state where the president was able to win in every election. So whoever won in Minas, in Minas was able to win the national election. And what we're seeing right now is a, is a very interesting pattern in which Mineiros, you know, how we call ourselves, we, we elected a governor, a local governor, who is a lie of Bolsonaro, but uh, most of Mineiros voted for Lula, which means we split the ticket here, right? Usually that's how Mineiros do. They don't like to put all the eggs in the same basket. We like to divide <laughs> that, right? On the streets, what we see is also that this national division is reflected here. So the north of Minas and the west of Minas, it's way more toward Lula, They are poorer areas. They have much more influence from state capacity of doing stuff, whereas the south of Minas and the east of Minas are way more Bolsonaro, right? Because they, are, they receive influence from agriculture sector. 
they are way more developed, they are richer cities. So the national division is actually uh, also replied inside uh, Minas Gerais. We have here a micro sample of the entire Brazilian electorate. It's very interesting, Luisa, if you take a look at the valid votes of how many votes Lula and Bolsonaro had in Minas and how many votes Lula and Bolsonaro had in Brazil, the percentages were just exactly the same. It's an interesting coincidence that reinforced the idea that we have an important swing state over here. If this is the main battle for the next three weeks and there is no local government race anymore, we had Zema won and declared his support to Bolsonaro in the right, in the first day. I think he was one of the first governors elect to do it. We have a split ticket. What is their homework? Is Minas Gerais really the battleground for oh, this yeah. election? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. We we are going to be, again, the, the most important battleground. So what needs to happen, I mean, the, we, we start this conversation talking about abstention, and that's, for me, the most important challenge that, that Lula campaign has, okay? The abstention rate in the north of Minas were around 30%, which is really, really high. It's higher than in the other regions of the state, right? So if Lula, if really wants to win the election here, he really needs to make sure that his campaign has a strategic movement in terms of turnout uh, um, movements, right? I mean, they have to anticipate turnout, they have to motivate turnout, they have to not persuade people in terms of their agenda, but really focus on, you know, making people go to vote. Bolsonaro, on the other hand, has to use Zema to get mayors to help him locally, right? My PhD thesis uh, was about that movement and how mayors were able to help presidents in situations like that. And it's very interesting to see, I mean, my, my dissertation was in 2014. I mean, we are talking about eight years later on and the movements are just the same, right? Presidents are trying to send money to places where mayors can help them win elections. This pattern keep being very important, especially in Minas Gerais, where you have more than 800 mayors. And Zema is kind of the local ally that's very important to try to persuade mayors to kind of change from one side to the other. And with that, uh, help Bolsonaro change the outcome. So we'll be very interesting to see how the battle happens in terms of Lula and Bolsonaro campaigns. It's not a coincidence that both of them will be coming back to Minas a lot during the second round. The expectations that they will be here four or five times during the second round. Mm -hmm. And of course, they, will, they, they are doing that because they know that's the place where they have to win the battle. That's great. Felipe, thank you so much for your time. We will be in touch with you in Minas Gerais <laughs> since you are in a privileged position and keep following what Quest has to show us in terms of polls. Thank you so much. Oh, I, I appreciate for the talk. Thank you very much again. And, you know, you are more than invited to come to Minas as soon as you can <laughs> to have a good food that we have here. I would love to. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karen Zissis. This podcast was produced by John Orbach and Luisa Lemmy. The music featured in this episode 
is Galopada by Itibiri Swarg, recorded for the America Society. Learn more at musicoftheamericas.org. If you want to learn more about what's happening in the Brazilian elections, access our poll tracker and other election coverage at as-coa.org slash 2022. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Give us five stars, write a review, share, and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.